talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome once again to More Like the Worst Wing The show where we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal television show, The West Wing, from a leftist 2018-based perspective. I'm Stu. And I am Dave. And today we are going to be talking about a very, this is a flagship episode of the show, episode Mm -hmm. 19 of season one, the title of which is Let Bartlett Be Bartlett. A phrase that I'm sure is scrawled into the memories of any even casual West Wing watcher. Uh, as this is one of the more major episodes uh, that fans will always reference and refer to. It's another sort of, um, it's a very linear, sort of like driving dramatic perspective on the show. They don't go too much into the political issues, although there are some sharp ones in today's (laughs) episode. So we'll just kind of talk it through. But one is addressed quite well, and we'll get to that one. Yeah. Um, but then th- to start off with, I want to take like a quick two minute diversion and just kind of unpack this cold open bit a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> so so we get to Sam and Toby are prepping a speech for the president where he's about to do five minutes for the Council of Trout Fishermen, um, you know, <laughs> which is amazing, which first off, wonderful, fantastic. Hello. Hello. I'm the chairman of the Council of Trout Fishermen. Uh, I want to <laughs> ask that guy all the stories he has about <laughs> trout. And just listen for hours. Uh, so they're they're fretting because there were Toby's worried it's going to rain. And one line says, "As I look out over this beautiful vista, and if it rains, they're going to have to move it inside. At which point he will not be looking out over said vista." And so Toby's having this sort of Woody Allen neurotic breakdown over this, <laughs> whereas Sam is being smugly confident in uh, the government intel he has received from the Navy that it will not rain today. Uh, and he's very assured of this because institutions told him that uh, it will not rain today. That's and lo right. and behold, it breaks out into rain. <laughs> yeah. And and, uh, and Toby's fears come true, and the president does not adapt in time, and he reads out the dumb statement about looking out over a beautiful vista, even though he's indoors. Yeah, and the, the timing of it is like he reads that line, and then we get everybody mugging at each other as <laughs> the music ramps up into the credit sequence. Right. It's one of these, Sorkin likes doing this. He likes setting up a joke so far and so obvious <laughs> in advance that that sort of becomes the joke in and of itself. And the payoff of the joke isn't necessarily like a big laugh haha moment, but more just kind of like a checking off of a mental box to kind of give you closure on that, on the joke that you saw coming. Yeah, and I, I had mentioned that this is sort of like a, this is a the jackal level of explicit, um, joke layout like they right are, like, they like i said it's a hard favorite, it's a favorite technique of his and it's fine when it works well and i can remember a couple other times that it works like really good uh and i'm sure we'll get to those at some point but <laughs> regardless this is our this is our and during this um sorry so during this we get one of our major plot lines introduced which is that two chairmen of the federal election committee and committee have resigned simultaneously and thus there are two open spots available for the president to appoint replacements which is one of our major focuses yep um so i think and you had mentioned that even contained honestly again in in sort of a nod to the writing here like even contained within the cold open prior to the credits the fact that it 
unexpectedly begins to rain and then carries on raining throughout the episode is actually, you know, it's a pretty nice touch because yes. the mood of the episode itself is characterized as gloomy and shitty. Right. Um, yeah, this is an episode where basically the, the troops in a three-act structure, act one is the troops get demoralized, act two is, you know, we hit the low point, and act three is getting the troops revved back up again in a, in a big major way. Uh, which we'll we'll cover in more detail. But yeah, at the rain, which is just written as this sort of initial cold, op- cold open joke, nicely adds to the mood. Uh, as as an episode of television, we were discussing this is quite effective, um, although in some ways has major failings. But that's more <laughs> due to other episodes that come later down the line. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the kind of the first initial political crisis that they bring up is this opportunity to because it, it's incumbent upon the administration to do so that the power devolves to the president is to appoint commissioners to the fec which and full disclosure here having come into the fullness of my political awareness basically the john mccain barack obama presidential campaign followed shortly thereafter by citizens united fucking everything up i i know almost nothing about the framework within campaign finance was litigated well, in the year 2000. And the episode does very little to help your understanding by never <laughs> mentioning anything about campaign finance reform, uh, merely just saying that they are aggressive about it. Yeah. Um, and like, what, that is literally all we hear is that these these two potential appointees, because the ones he, he's going to pick, are, are very aggressively pro-campaign finance reform. That's all we get. No, no specifics about what that means. Where I think they talk about dark money at one point with the lobbyists, but that's about it. Yeah, and they they are very careful to just leave that out of the discussion, but I would like to note that sort of as a piece of trivia I learned this week, thanks to a C-SPAM thread, that John McCain's campaign was actually the last one to accept for presidential candidacy to accept public financing, right. which under this old structure of the rules, um, basically it established a much stricter standard of scrutiny for your disclosures right. of this money and its origins. And then obviously like Obama won the election right. having, having eschewed public financing and then Citizens United came through and fucked everything up to hell anyway. So right. It's it's sort of it's almost it's, coincidental that he was the last one, but it is very poignant to see. Sure. Wow, it was this ghoulish Republican who actually was the last vestige of taking you know a a more I guess publicly accountable approach to financing his to, run for to president. Financing the election. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's you know it's interesting the conclusions you can draw from that. Like was that one of the reasons he lost probably not there were several bigger reasons like you know (laughs) running back to go oh i gotta go fix the economy let me go suspend my campaign for a bit unbridled racism (laughs) Uh, sarah palin (laughs) Palin. (laughs) just to name a few uh and him being like an old man on the verge of a coronary yeah Uh, pretty much all the time all all that sort of stuff rest in hell john mccain He's dead. This is the first Christmas he's been dead. <laughs> Go live it up there with H.W. Uh, <laughs> That's right. And so then our our second main uh, topic to transition smoothly is gays in the military. Uh, yeah. And it's basically handled with as much uh, crass and distinction as I was able to pull off that transition, uh, where they just kind of say, like, yep, this sure is an <sighs> issue, and they kind of yell back and forth at a table at, at each other. 
but then it, it's saved with a really nice moment from Fitz that I'm going to unpack a little bit more uh, when we get into that topic. Yeah. But uh, basically, it, it ties Sam up in meetings all day with uh, two generic army dudes, another uh, guy who's like the dickhead in the room, and then uh, um, what's his name from the office, uh, Michael's boss. Uh, oh, yeah. David from the oh, office shit. is yeah, the, uh, I didn't even think is about the random senator, and I love him because <laughs> right. like he doesn't do anything except geek out when Fitz enters the room. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I kind of love his character. He's just there to be like, "Oh, cool, Admiral Fitz Wallace." <laughs> yeah. So both of these, uh, both of the kind of big political issues, like the campaign finance reform and the gays in the military thing, are almost in this. It's the discussion is it was like the definition of a smoke-filled room negotiation especially on the campaign finance thing and i just noted where it's just all of these people like we we may or may not be arguing about certain finer points but it almost feels like everybody operates within this this idiom this framework and they're just gonna all arrive at the same conclusion eventually and all kind of shake each other's hands and go home right (laughs) Holy yeah, shit. Uh, more explicitly what Josh had done over a meal, which increases the effect even more so, Absolutely. you know, that we're all dining together. Like the Sam one, it's a little more contentious, you know, at least it's like in a meeting room. There is technically <laughs> food there because Fitz has the whole thing about the Danish, That's right. uh, which is a beautiful bit of physical acting, yeah. in my opinion, uh, to eat the Danish as he does his <laughs> As bed. he lets his position, yeah. So speaking of contentious, the last sort of, thing that comes up and roils the administration i mean well first off we can't forget about the margaret <laughs> raisin muffin oh yeah what the conspiracy what the fuck plot like, this line. was so fucking weird like and it's couched in this like thing where again Fitz gets this line it is yeah. literally the seinfeld plot with the fat free frozen yogurt but done on the west wing yeah and, and like, through email <laughs> yeah through, like and then Fitz get this gets this line that's supposed to be a zinger that is just like the white house computers aren't secure oops and like, oh, okay. And Margaret's like conspiracy mongering. And there's this, I just like, ah, oh, great. I mean, good. it's all very cute and funny and whatnot. And, you know, it gives Leo a nice couple of comic moments where he's <laughs> like, you, I'm, I'm past the point of paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is always good. And John Spencer delivers it well. And the whole thing with Margaret is admittedly hysterical, but it also just reeks of like, why are we filling this time? Margaret gets like three or four minutes devoted yeah. to this, yeah. uh, which is like prime TV time, <laughs> um, which is just kind of interesting. And yeah, then Fitz gets his little zing in about well, White House computers aren't secure, which eh, I'm going to give him a 50-50 on the truth meter <laughs> yeah. for, where like back then they weren't even hooked up to the internet, internet. just their lone yeah. local, local intranet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how they work nowadays, but I, I guarantee you that's how they were back then, so... You know, yeah. Margaret could not have infected anything with uh, bouncing emails back and forth <laughs> on the internet. And and I also noticed that um, the reply all kind of snowballing of emails <laughs> is still a problem. Oh today. yes, and I will be forevermore all the time, and it will yep. always be. <laughs> People never understand that reply all <laughs> means reply all to everyone. <laughs> And then you get in people who say, "Please do not reply." All. Right, and like <laughs> please get me off this this list. So um, <laughs> the one one thing we cannot forget about because we did last week is Mandy. <laughs> oh right, oh Mandy, <laughs> you came and you wrote yeah. a bad memo. 
So, the, so that, that's our, yeah. our third plot line is that uh, the, the press gets their hands, it's more specifically Danny, which is a nice little reveal. Uh, Danny gets his hands on this memo Mandy wrote uh, that basically rips the administration apart from a political uh, strength perspective. Yep, and the like. It's it's discovered that she wrote it because she was employed by their opposition at some time. Because and, she's a political consultant. Because she's a consultant, and I just wrote in all caps on my notes. It's yes, reap what ye sow. Yes, live by the consultant, die, <laughs> die by, by the, the consultant. consultant. Exactly. So yes, this is your own of, fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it wends its way through the episode, just kind of bringing in, eventually, actually being again put to more put to more dramatic use than the actual politics of it right. in that it informs the crisis of conscience that the administration has because it's like look all of our weakness has been laid bare here we don't even really need to to read it the knowledge that someone can just blow through and write something like this so skippily Mm-hmm. And like you know, that's kind of what prompts the what the what what are we even fucking trying to do? Th- that here? in combination with terrible poll numbers, uh, yeah, uh, basically sparks sparks the conversation that that leads to the to the big entitled "Let Bartlett Be Bartlett" moment uh, that the episode spends its entire time building towards quite successfully. I'll add narratively, mm-hmm. uh, building to this great like <clears throat> climax and crescendo and catharsis <laughs> yes. kind of thing. Absolutely. And we were discussing. So at the end of the episode where everyone says, I serve at the pleasure of the president. Right. Yes. So so the initial mention of that phrase specifically is John Spencer saying, if you had told me to do anything and this Mm -hmm. is defending himself, saying if the president had told him to do literally anything, Mm -hmm. his answer would have been, I serve at the pleasure of the president. Absolutely. I'll go do it. Which, because again, sort of as the like as the power dynamics trickle down, there's nobody to blame mm-hmm. for them being in this doldrums, this quagmire, except for Bartlett himself, because he's right. been and you didn't, frankly you didn't ask for enough. Yeah, you know? and he's been a he's been a fucking coward the entire time he's been in office because he's right. They they refer to this concept of a mandate, which has also been I mean it's again relevant today, but it's just like they are so frightened of exercising the power that they're vested with right. because of a potential backlash, which is right. a backwards and very, very Democratic Party right. way of thinking about things. Absolutely. And this this is the, you know, idealized version of what Sorkin wishes the president could could do, which is to have this moment of realizing it's more important to do good than to just worry about re-election. Yep. Uh, and which is a great and noble sentiment, and it's a damn shame the show doesn't end up following <laughs> through with it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and so we have this, and I, <laughs> we were talking about the show, I said, it's 100% this fucking I am Spartacus yes. moment, where every yes. staffer says, I serve uh, the pleasure of the president. Right, just- and like, it's, <laughs> I get it, like, I get it, I get it, but like, it gets old after like the second one, and you realize like it'd probably be more effective if they each just made an affirmative statement of some kind of like I'm in or let's do this or you know it just even something as generic as that would have been better than them all parodying each other. And I seem to remember there's another scene like this um, later on the eve of the second administration <laughs> where he actually asked them all to say what would you do if you had your druthers within right. this administration, and none of them get to say that this time. They're just like. Uh, all right, I'm here. I'm here to help the president. Whatever you Great. want. Yeah, whatever boss. you want, man. 
<laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. So the, it is, it's an emotional um, catharsis of right. sorts, but we will note and continue to note that there is no actual policy or political catharsis that results from this. Going Frankly, forward. again, it's a, I mean, it's a, um, it's an iconic moment within the series. Right. We reference right. the title and anybody who knows anything about the West Wing will be like, oh my God, I know that episode. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, as usual, yeah. it's just like, well, we have all this great buildup and the denouement comes and, and nothing lo- is Lofty done. rhetoric with no action to back it up. And yeah. it's stubbly weird in that you get to control the fictional action of your show. Like, <laughs> yes. that's the thing. I get why it happens in real life, why, why politicians make lofty promises and then can't fulfill them because of various reasons. But here, you control all of those reasons. And, and you can make it happen however you want it to happen. Yeah, and I mean... Uh, which makes it's... it even doubly more, I guess, revealing of that this is all just empty rhetoric at the end of the day, and that's what all this is, is like this pleasing rhetoric rhetoric to, to kind of mollify you and assure you that, no, no, smart people are in charge. Yeah, and I've been, like, as, as you mentioned that, it's just the more I think about it, I wrote up this little thing, it's like, it's compelling TV, again, because we get to see John Spencer give a great performance. Like right. Blowing. And he's, yo, he's great. He's yeah. absolutely great. Yes. And, and he's blowing up like at the president as, in mm-hmm. as much as he can, because again, right. he's very, this is his friend. R- riding the line of how, how truthfully can you speak to the president kind of thing. Yeah. And at the end of it, it's like the thing that they, that catalyzes this, uh, this realization and, and it, it gets them to really embrace this thing is fucking appointing people to the goddamn FEC that <laughs> may or may not take a dis- slightly not neoliberal orthodoxy position on <laughs> campaign financing. And it's like, why is that the thing? Why does right. that motivate? Why does that inspire you? Because I can right. guarantee if you're looking for a mandate from the people who elected you, that's not the issue. Yeah, I'm sure there's, yeah, there's probably a lot more things they're concerned about. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, it, maybe it's just sort of like straw that broke the camel, it's camel's back moment, or it's just sort of the opportunity of it fell into the lap. So this this will be the thing that we take a stand on, because you got to start somewhere, essentially. I, yeah, and I think it's also, they, they don't, really give any sort of i mean they they bring the schnork plane in and give some statistics about this shit but it's like there's nothing to confirm your instinct that it will lead to a lost election like the right the framing of this is yeah, more like important your average than american's election. not gonna give a fuck that, <laughs> you, that you oh oh did you hear there's two democrats yeah. instead of a democrat and a republican on the federal election chairman committee and it's like, like the other person is asleep halfway through the sentence <laughs> yeah and it's also um oh god where was i where am i so like yeah again the framing of the statement itself this is more important than winning an election mm-hmm. it gives up it feels weird well, it gives up that ground out the gate. They don't even right. fight. Right. Um, and yeah, it's just, well, I mean, honestly, at this point, after we've done 18 other episodes of this shit, it's welcome to the West Wing. Right. It seems like the the like the prevailing wisdom is just to be accepted um, right. on its face instead of attempting to overturn or think about things in any new frame of mind. Right. Yeah. And definitely at the start of the episode. By the end of the episode, you get the idea that they're going to get to that place, uh, but they never do. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah. 
so uh. we've been going a while. Let's take a quick yeah. break, and then uh, we'll get back and we'll dug, dig, dig <laughs> deep down into these topics. Okay, so the first one that I wanted to talk about was gays in the military. Um, and this is Sam's main plot line, is he's in a meeting uh, with, as we discussed, uh, Steve Carell's boss, uh, <laughs> as well as two army dudes and some dickhead Republican lawyer, Yep, I'm guessing, uh, who's, who's basically, his whole point there, the dickhead Republican lawyer, is to s- call this meeting out as a gigantic waste of time, uh, which Sam agrees upon and gets real depressed so that he can go get psyched up by the Let Bartlett Be Bartlett speech. <laughs> yes, this is the uh, depressed Sam portion yes. of the script. <laughs> Yes. So, uh, but then the topic is, you know, gays in the military, and they kind of have some back and forth, and some stats get thrown out, um, and some ideas of, you know, and then uh, Sam gets to nail them a couple times on, like, oh, you think sexual harassment from gays is a problem? What about your current sexual harassment? Uh, Throws out the... uh, Yeah, the tailhook scandal, which I hadn't... Which I actually, like, it sort of... Um, which which was an educational experience for both of us. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't really... And Which, by the way, if you Google it, fucking yikes. <laughs> yes. yes, I would suggest I would suggest either not Googling it at all... If you understand anything about military culture and the phrase military sexual harassment scandal should make your mind jump to a number of places, none of them good. Yeah, so... And also, I think... Um, the like there's some very i mean it's i hate saying this but it's it's of the time 20 years ago just sort of latent homophobia in the entire discussion because toby oh absolutely toby makes this reference where he's like oh what's going on at lackland air force base it's like i because sam has referenced this as a statistic of having people wash out because they're admittedly and openly gay it's like Mm -hmm. all right tobes good good job being yeah like, making fun of the gays like let's yeah no, no one gets off great in this meeting uh i guess sam the most but until fitz comes in and i'm I'm just gonna we need the clip here they're not gonna speak until i speak to them sam they're pretty well trained stand easy fellas this danish for anybody oh yes sir thank you we're discussing gays in the military huh yes sir What do you think? I said, what do you think? Sir, we're here to help the White House form a policy. I know, I'm asking you what you think. Sir, we're not prejudiced toward homosexuals. You just don't want to see them serving in the armed forces. No, sir, I don't. Because they pose a threat to unit discipline and cohesion. Yes, sir. That's what I think, too. I also think the military wasn't designed to be an instrument of social change. Yes, sir. Problem with that is, that's what they were saying about me 50 years ago. Blacks shouldn't serve with whites. It would disrupt the unit. You know what? It did disrupt the unit. The unit got over it. The unit changed. I'm an admiral in the U.S. Navy and chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Beat that with a stick. And, like, man, that's that's so good writing. Because, one, brevity is the soul of wit. He's brief, but he makes his point in a devastating fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And and two, he's fucking spot on. And this just like I love how this criticism undercuts so much of like the worry warts and the pearl clutchers of the world of like, oh, but won't there be problems? Yeah, there were for a while. We got over it. You know, society moves on. This is how you have to you make progress by changing things. And yes, there will be a little chaos, but guess what? 
it goes away. <laughs> you know, we get over it. There's a new normal. That's how that's how progress is made. Yeah. You remember when like Ugg and Bug were terrified that Doug made fire and like right. were, were sleeping outside of the cave and they got eaten? Like, right. It, exactly. it, it, it's fundamental to the movement in society. And honestly, with this issue, one of my best friends is a veteran of Desert Storm. And she was like, every time we, this comes up, she's just like, I don't give a shit. Like, I do not. I could not possibly care less about whether because again it it is an extremely and they make some very weirdly heteronormative value judgments outside of toby like the military guys talk about it and stuff it's just like yes being a sexual person is not exclusive to your orientation right but yeah i think more broadly, though, is, you know, look, not everyone's going to be woke, you know, right away. Not everyone, like, I get that in an ideal world, everyone's like your friend and is, is like, hey, I couldn't care less. And I think the vast majority of people are that way, ultimately. But you are going to get the bigots and the assholes who are going to cause problems. But the point is, you have to confront that head on. You got to, like, rip the bandaid off and not just kind of quietly, you know, yeah, there's going to be clashes and, conf- you know, Things will get a little chaotic or messy, but then a new normal establishes, and it's one that's better than before, or I, that's the goal, and, you know? And chances are that the people who are causing the conflict and are are directly opposed to whatever initiative are the people that are causing the problems in the first right. place. Like, you don't want them around in that new normal, so right. by making Absolutely. this change, you let them wash themselves out. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone who's got a problem with the new normal is going to loudly and quickly identify yeah. <laughs> themselves and then you can take care of them. Yep. You know, so the point is, you know, to, to, to make change just inherently requires disruption to the unit, in essence, in this metaphor, where and like like Fitz says, the unit got over it. I, just, I like that. I think that's a, a, a beautiful sentiment and towards towards the need for radical change and to a degree informs the conclusion that the administration at large reaches at the end of the episode it's right. nothing's gonna get changed by clinging to this to this bullshit middle of the road status quo perspective right of, of freaking out over but what if yeah but what if but what, <laughs> but if? what if so in a truly just scintillating reintroduction of what Initially, it was supposed to be a main character in the entire series. Mandy comes back hey. in this episode. Hooray! Hi, Mandy. I remember Mandy. Enjoy your um, time before <laughs> you get on your bus to Mandyville. <laughs> yeah, so Mandy um, just sort of bursts in on the CJ holding a press conference, takes her side and says, Hi, there may or may not be in public release a memo that I wrote that was basically just a takedown of the current administration's political weaknesses that I compiled and sent to my boss when I was working for the Russell campaign. Of which uh, before, there are many. Yeah. And before before you hired me mm-hmm. and started paying me, I was working for this guy who had hired me and was paying me. So to do, to do this job. Yes. Yeah, to do this job. And so we brought up initially that it's like, well, guess what? You know, you're going to use these consultants. Right. Get used to them having the only loyalty. Having worked for the other team because they're political consultants and they have no party loyalty. Well, yeah. And I think, again, part of the advantage of that is, and we 
my wife says what she takes away from this episode most of all is the first thing you should be asking these people when you hire them is what are we doing badly or what are our weaknesses? What's the point of having a bipartisan or a nonpartisan um like consultant, if right. they're just going to come in and be a yes man, right? Exactly. Like you have your own party consultants for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it, yeah. She couldn't have summed it up better. Uh, and Danny Concanon basically brings up the same point to CJ when he confronts her about this in the episode, which basically says that like, hey, you knew what was in the memo because you're smart enough to realize your own weaknesses. The reason you didn't ask is because you didn't want to admit that they were true, essentially. Yeah, and I think that's a it's an important distinction that he helps CJ make. It's mm-hmm. I mean, outside of sort of the uh, the presumption that he can be easily manipulated because she kissed him a couple times, right? Um, the the distinction that she helps him to make is that it is not enough to analyze and be aware of these weaknesses. Right. You have to actively be doing things. Right. To address them. Right, yeah. and Because otherwise it's just like, oh, great. Like, what even is the point? Right. Yeah, they, not only did they, they weren't interested and they wouldn't have acted on it even if they did know, like, because they're just, they're in denial, essentially. They're just, they're denying that they even have flaws to worry about. And then, oops, how did all these poll numbers get so bad? Why is our job <laughs> approval so low? Yeah, and. We don't have you know, any it, flaws, though. <laughs> Well, how could people, we didn't do anything, as Leo and, says. And, oh, yeah, God. That's, so, that's so great. Brief aside, such an amazing set of, like, comments from both Leo and Toby yeah. about the poll numbers dropping five points in a week. We didn't do anything last week. And Toby just kind of goes, I'll say. Yep. It's great, man. Richard Schiff, fantastic little bit. So here. good. With two yeah. words, says so, so much. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you're right. We fucking didn't do anything last week. Maybe that's why they're pissed. Yeah, and it's it seems, um, again, it's sort of a, this almost seems like a very forced redirect of the show because they realize that Mandy is sort of out there in the ether. So I both, I think it was both good that they brought her in to use, I called it a deus ex dramachina. Yes, here Where, wherever just, she goes, drama follows. Yes, to prompt this sort of conversation. But at the same time, she's not saying, and from a remove from the viewer's point of view, she's not saying anything that should be um, news, that should be particularly right. groundbreaking in this Right, regard. yeah, because basically her flaws are like, you haven't done shit, and that you're like <laughs> middle of the road, and that like you, you suck. You're not good at the presidency thing so far. Which, like, if they all have a good, honest look at themselves, they can be like, yeah, what did we actually do? (laughs) And she has this piece, this scripted out piece, where she talks about, like, the voters and the issues that they're going to lose. And it's basically, it's her almost, like, woman-splaining the Reagan consensus. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, so here's this coalition that you guys know is what represents the Republican Party. Mm Mm-hmm. What's like? What do you think is going to happen? And it sort of ties into uh, the discussion of campaign financing that evolves with the meeting with Josh. Then, when they start talking to this, I don't know, this bipartisan group of something for the FEC commissioner mm-hmm. appointments, where they literally just start threatening him with the, I guess, what you could call the liberal bugaboos. I, I think they were. 
I th- they was meant to be the Republican leadership in Congress, I think. Uh, or the aides of the Republican leadership. Okay, yeah, Because yeah, he didn't yeah. want to and go directly. But, uh, but yeah, yeah so they, they, just, start... they just start threatening to bring up the entire conservative agenda uh, and run that through to, to kill time while not appointing their nominees. And, <laughs> you know, basically the political gridlock that Obama faced is what they're threatening. Yeah, and it's all the it's all the garbage social issues like prayer Except and schools. Instead of and... repeal Obamacare, it's you know it's it's the <laughs> other schools, favorite wish list. English is English yeah. is a national language, like all this mm-hmm. shit. And so it's it's just very bizarre that um, the writing has devolved to putting the like the summation of this what's supposed to be and what is framed up as a game changer of a revelation in the mouth of a character that's going to be spoilers thrown away in three episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it's, it's convenient. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know what their, their thoughts ever were with Mandy. I imagine much like our own, uh, they basically just did an episode and went, Oh shit, we forgot Mandy. <laughs> uh, and then, oh God damn it. Not again. Then, oh fuck. I'll cram her in into the next one. I promise. I probably don't remind me. Someone remind me. Yeah, and it's just very, very strange that, like, the fundamental critique that she filled this memo with is, like, fucking liberals. Yeah, <laughs> like, hey, that's also yeah, no nice, shit, too. You guys. Like, like, at least they can be self-aware of it a little. Yeah. So it's yeah. funny that if you ask Sorkin about the flaws of his fictional administration, he's happy to, to tell them to you, but then won't actually fix them himself as the writer. Yeah, and it's um, like self-reflectively almost. It's just like okay, and I think this is again, this has characterized the entire run of the show so far, where it's like, ah, all right, and then next episode. <laughs> yeah, we all, and it's fine. To, like I was saying, it's fine to forget about some of these issues. At, you know, episode to episode, the show brings up so many. We've tackled you know over well over a dozen at this point in this first eighteen episodes, and they're all big political issues that you could devote a lot of time to. So it's fine if a lot of them get dropped by the wayside. But when you shine a big narrative spotlight on like, you know, oh, we're going to do this one thing, then maybe you should follow up on if that happened or not. Like, yeah, because then why do, I, why do I care about... The, the, because, again, as a political viewer of a political show, I'm looking for more than... And uh, God, this is the more I think about this, is so weird because the, initially it wasn't the show pitched. It's like a romance between Mandy and um, Sam? Sam. Yeah, I believe uh, yeah, Sam was definitely the lead initially, uh, and it was pitched as I don't want to say a romance, but there was a, a lot more romantic. In yeah, because obviously yeah. the execs want to hear like, oh yeah, <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be sex, sex in there, there right? <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, surprisingly like, unsexy it. despite the whole prostitute thing, which I think is just thrown in there just so it can be sexy for that first episode. Because <laughs> aside from that, it's been very little sexy. Uh, I guess Rob and um, uh, Rob Lowe and uh, and Mallory, yeah, have, Mallory. Ha- have had their moments, but and Danny and CJ, but for the most part. It's been For pretty network PG, TV, man. it's been pretty like dull and just a lot of people in office clothes not having <laughs> sex. Well, and I think it's it's again it's telling of sort of you can almost watch the evolution of how they wanted to approach it of just being like, well, as a political viewer of a show that is about politics now, mm-hmm. we they they start and you had mentioned because we do see um the gays in the military bill and this is something that's extremely astute. Thank you for noticing this. Yes. 
Ted Marcus from the episode 20 Hours in L.A., which I think was number 16. Yeah, three three back. Yeah, mentioned this bill that they're now discussing in this meeting. But and he it's mentioned very, the issue, but yeah, uh, I, or I think he did bring up the specific bill even, yeah. I think that, yeah. I and think he was just being like, hey, why haven't, why haven't you moved on it? Or yeah, yeah. or why? Or there was a vote. It was going to fail, but he would. Yeah. He wanted him to say like, if it passes, I, uh, I will veto it because it was banning gays in the military. Was the bill? And, and I think it's it's good in that regard because we are finally seeing some meta narrative. So yeah, this carry through. this addresses a little bit of that concern that I just brought up of here. Okay, so you shown a spotlight on it, and now you're bringing it back a little. Good. Here's a cookie. Good job, show. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and you use fits to do it. Yeah, uh, you know, in a very effective characters. way. Yeah. yeah. So again, that's all well and good, but then from here on out, it will then go to peter out, and we'll never hear an end on <laughs> were gays ever allowed in the military? <laughs> Anyone want to I check back know. on that? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then um, I mean, I think we sort of mentioned yeah the Danny Kincannon thing where he actually again he's CJ's just. Like, I feel like CJ, if there's any romantic connection between the two of them, should know better then. And she even articulates it in the script. She says, I'm, I'm not trying to abuse our friendship in right. this regard, but then right. goes ahead but and then, tries to abuse the but friendship. But then what if I do a little? <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, I said that part first, so I'm okay, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm the all, disclaimer's that, out there. That gets me off the hook. Yeah, and thankfully Danny is, of course, enough a professional and feels an obligation to his readership of, no, this is news. You know, this yeah, is. I'm here to do my job, news, not to not to be your boyfriend. I'm here to inform the public. Yeah, uh, and this is information that they need. Yeah, and and like I guess there's, um, I was gonna say something about like Toby's politics du jour because we did speaking of some meta narrative, we did harp on that last ish, oh, right. last episode a little bit, but there isn't really much beyond that sort of throwaway thing with the rain in the morning, which is clearly a setup for the joke. Right, so, yeah. It's it's a mostly self-contained gag, and it's just there to be like, oh, look at how neurotic Toby gets. Isn't it adorable? Yeah. You know, I th- I'm pretty sure, you know, because ultimately, oh, no, he flubbed the line in a speech to some trout fisherman, Big Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the political consequences of it are, you know, it's, it's for a joke. Yep. Um, uh, but I think that basically yeah. wraps up this episode. Yeah, it was pretty good. I it was, actually, it was it, good. It was, again, a good episode of television, you know, and just like everything else as I'm rewatching the show, just as you, as soon as you start to unpack the politics of it, it becomes kind of a tangled mess. And I get it because you, you're not really supposed to think about it longer than the episode is on, <laughs> uh, yeah. even though it's very, you know, the writing encourage, makes you want to encourage you to think about it deeper. Uh, actually, don't. Just go watch the next episode and uh go to your fridge and forget about it <laughs> well and i guess again high points in this obviously anytime fitz john amos shows mm-hmm. up is just like i i fucking good adore fits always shit. good shit <laughs> yep and uh, yeah like and now the john spencer performance yep. as we mentioned uh yep. is fantastic during the big speech and the back and forth uh, martin sheen gives gives as good as he gets uh, yes, in their little absolutely. back and forth as well. So it's a nice moment for both of them just as actors. You know, every time we praise the show, just realize we're praising it on the level of entertainment <laughs> yes, and not yes. endorsing any of its <laughs> garbage views, <laughs> of course. But uh, but this was fun. And so our next episode uh, is going to be Mandatory Minimums. 
oh boy, the name um, of this political actually, issue in the top. So in not the, only uh, title. not only do we get the FEC thing coming back, uh, so we get Al Kiefer, aka Q, uh, his returns. No and, shit. Yes. Oh uh, yeah. And <laughs> along with him, good old Marley Matten as Joey yes, Lucas. Joey Lucas comes so back. So a bunch Ooh, of man, fan I'm favorites. Excited. I'm I'm very excited now. <laughs> uh, so thank you all for listening. Uh, we welcome any comments, feedback. Do we get any emails? Oh, got so <laughs> funny thing. Hi, Ben. My brother-in-law pulled me aside hey! at this holiday party this weekend. It was like, been listening to your show, digging it or whatever. You have a very puerile email address. It's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, uh, you know what, man? Some corners so, of the so, internet. Something awful. Man. Yeah, so, some internet corners of the internet are best unexplored. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that email address is theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Puerile. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, and... and we welcome your comments and feedback. Uh, but thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week with another episode. Bye. Bye-bye. And I'll send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on along.